Welcome to an exclusive recording of the Shepherd's Path, the Seerah of the Prophet wasallam, taught by Sheikh Muhammad al-Sharif rahimahullah in July of 2008. This episode is brought to you by Al-Maghrib on-site events. For the past 20 years, Al-Maghrib has brought in-depth and quality Islamic education to cities around the world. From weekend seminars to inspiring ilm nights, conferences, retreats, and more. Life-changing seminars and events with renowned teachers coming to your hometown. Our student family stretches across 40 cities in four continents and has grown to the largest student body studying Islam in the Western world. Second year of Hijra was the Battle of Badr. Third year was Uhud. Fifth year was the Battle of Al-Khandaq. Five was Khandaq. Sixth year was Hudaybiyah, the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. Hudaybiyah. And you have in the eighth year, eighth year was conquest of Mecca. Was conquest Mecca. Tenth year was like farewell Hajj and death of the Prophet ﷺ was a few months after that, very soon after that. So as you can see in the short amount of time, there was a lot of things happening, right? Badr, Uhud, Khandaq, Hudaybiyah, conquest of Mecca. And there are other battles there that I'm not going to be, um, battle of, for example, Khaybar and so on, that we're not going to be speaking too much about, but they also there are other battles there. Why were they fighting in the battles? Okay? Some of these earlier battles, like the Battle of Badr, for example, the intention wasn't to go out to the, um, the plains of Badr to fight in a battle. That wasn't the intention even. It just happened that the Meccans had come with an army, and then a battle took place. But then, right, it escalated after that, Uhud, and, and so on. Purpose of the battles, number one, is freedom of religion. If the mushrikeen were in charge, which was the case in Mecca, they were in charge, and they were not allowing people to believe in what they wanted to believe in. So these battles, giving people the freedom to choose for themselves, and not being forced to accept this or that, but they would have the ability to choose for themselves. Secondly, number two, purpose of the battles is protections of homes of worship. Protections of homes of worship. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَوْلَا دَفْعُ اللَّهِ النَّاسَ بَعْضَهُمْ بِبَعْضِ لَهُدِّمَتْ صَوَامِعُ وَبِعُمْ وَصَلَوَاتُ وَمَسَاجِدُ يُذْكَرُ فِي أَسْمُ اللَّهِ كَثِيرًا That if it wasn't that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would uh, push some people away with others, that there would be many, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, synagogues and churches and all of these places where Allah's name is mentioned that they would have been destroyed. Meaning the people would have no freedom of religion, no purpose, no protection of the homes of worship. Number three, So that the statement, the word of Allah would be the highest. And so they asked the Prophet ﷺ, there's many reasons people would go out for battle. Some people would go out to show off like their courage, poetry about like Arab fathers and so on and so forth. Some people would go out to the battle for patriotism. They want to defend their country and so on. Other people go out because of the war spoils. They're like bounty hunters and you know what I mean? Like mercenary people that just go out for the money. And then the, they ask the Prophet ﷺ, which of these is in the path of Allah? Which is this is like jihad for the sake of Allah. And the Prophet ﷺ said, مَنْ قَاتَلَ لِتَكُونَ كَلِمَةُ اللَّهِ هِيَ الْعُلْيَا فَهُوَ فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ he said, whoever fights so that the word of Allah is the highest, then he is the one who's truly in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alright, so there's another word, there's this thing called uh, sariya and ghazwa. Okay, two words, you want to write that down too. Sariya and ghazwa. 
in the terminology that they use, Ghazwa is something that the Prophet ﷺ participated in. And Sariyah is a military expedition that the Prophet ﷺ was not involved in. Like he wasn't there. A Sariyah, how many took place in these 10 years? Right, there's no fighting before the Hijrah to Medina. None of the Muslims had fought in a battle. It was after the Hijrah to Medina. That's when they started defending and offensive as well. There were 38, 38 Sariyah. 38 Sariyah, which is like these military expeditions that the Prophet ﷺ was not there. 38 and the Ghazawat, right, the Ghazwa, there were 27, 27. So we're talking about some of the major ones that happened like major battles took place, but altogether there were 27 times that the Prophet ﷺ left Medina in this 10 year period. The Muslims, how many fighters did they have in Medina? They did a census. You guys have census right here? Okay. They did a census in Medina and it came out that they had 1,500 fighters. All the people who were able to fight were 1,500 in Medina. And that actually made the people of Medina very excited. They said, if we have 1,500 fighters, mashallah, that's awesome. <laughs> so it was like hand-to-hand combat. The Battle of Badr, it has other names. The Battle of Badr. We're now beginning with the Battle of Badr. Second year of Hijrah. Battle of Badr has some other names. One of the names is Al-Uzma. Al-Uzma. Number two is Badr Al-Qital. Badr Al-Qital. Number three... Yawm al-Furqan. So three names of the Battle of Badr. Al-Uzma, Badr al-Qital, and Yawm al-Furqan. So al- the Battle of Badr. Someone actually asked a question last week about that the Prophet ﷺ was cutting off caravans or they say ambushing caravans. And someone would, might think that, oh, you know, how can the Muslims ambush caravans and so on and so forth. The caravans would go up to Asham, right? So from Mecca, we see, here's Mecca. Asham is north and Yemen is south. So when the Meccan caravans would go up to Asham, they'd have to pass through like the Medina area, right? And in this area, you have Badr. Badr is here. It's about an hour from Medina by car. About an hour from Medina by car. So when they're going up to, to Asham, the Prophet sent them the opportunity for the Muslims to regain back that which rightfully belonged to them. Okay, so now, let's just imagine, this is a time of war. And a lot of times when people think of, oh, you know, cutting off caravans and so on, you might think of it during a time of peace, of which cutting off caravans is obviously haram, right? It's obviously haram. So it's, it's like you put on the wrong glasses. It's a time of war, put on the war glasses. And once you see the war, at times of war, they're oppressing the Muslims, They've kicked them out of their homes. They give you the example of Suhaib al-Rumi. Under what right did they take his wealth? For what right? They had no right, but they're like, we're not going to let you go with your money. And so he's like, just take it, right? And they stole his money. So all these Muslims, they're just trying to escape from the people of Mecca so that they can worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And they left their homes. They left their property. That property was usurped and taken by Quraysh, right? Quraysh, without any haq, without any right took this away from them, and now the Muslims, even the, the words of the Prophet is like, take back what rightfully belongs to you. And it was optional as well. It was optional. Those who wanted to go back and take that which rightfully belonged to them. 
So there was a small group of Muslims that were going to cut off that caravan of that which rightfully belonged to them. And as well, it's a time of war. It's a time of war. There's not, it's not a time of peace. That's why you see the, uh, the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. That's when the peace treaty is written and the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. Before this, this is wartime. And so the Muslims went out to cut off the caravan. The Quraysh, they're coming back from Asham with their caravan, and they got word that the Muslims were coming, right? You know, they have scouts and so on and so forth. They found out. Abu Sufyan took the caravan, they avoided the Muslims, and went to Mecca, and returned back with an army ready to fight. So in this verse, you'll see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَإِذْ يَعِدُكُمُ اللَّهُ إِحْدَى الطَّائِفَتَيْنِ أَنَّهَا لَكُمْ وَتَوَدُّونَ أَنَّ غَيْرَ ذَاتِ الشَّوْكَةِ تَكُونُ لَكُمْ وَيُرِيدُ اللَّهُ وَيُرِيدُ اللَّهُ أَنْ يُحِقَّ الْحَقَّ بِكَلِمَاتِهِ وَيَقْطَعَ دَابِرَ الْكَافِنِينَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala promised them one of two groups. That either they would cut off the caravan. The caravan is, you know, they're like, it's a business. It's not, it might have some people protecting it, but it's not an army. Or they would be going out and facing an army. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, shawka. And you wish that the one without strength, i.e. the caravan, would be yours. right? And the, so now it's like, would you rather fight a caravan or would you rather fight an army that was like five times bigger than you? And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said that they wished that it would be the caravan. But soon they were waiting there, waiting there for the caravan. And then they realized that the caravan had passed them. They had gone to Mecca and the caravan had been saved. Right? The whole goal Abu Sufyan is trying to do is save the caravan, right? The caravan has arrived in Mecca and it's safe. Mission accomplished. But what did they do in Mecca now? Now they're ego inflamed. They're like, how dare the Muslims do this to us? Who do they think they are? And so everybody started encouraging each other in Mecca to go out and kill the Prophet ﷺ. To go out to Badr and fight them. That Allah desired that even though the Muslims had desired the caravan, right? the one without strength, that Allah desired that the truth of Islam be established and recognizes the truth by His degree as He predestined and that the roots of the disbelief be cut. So that was Badr. The Muslims had in Badr 320 fighters, 319 fighters, 319 fighters. And they weren't expecting to fight, so they're not really geared up with the full armor that's needed in battle. They don't have the same amount of like weapons and so on and so forth. And they're not truly prepared to fight an army. In Mecca, Abu Sufyan and so on, they came back with 1,000 fighters. So three times the number of Muslims. They came back with 1,000 fighters, 200 horse fighters. And the Muslims, I think, had like one horse or so on. Don't quote me on that. But they weren't really on horses. The difference between a horse fighter and an infantry, the horse is on higher up. And if the person can gallop through an area, he can just swing by and hit people with his sword, hit people with his spear, and so on and so forth. That is the horse fighter. And that's why they'll mention there was this many horse fighters and, and so on and so forth, because it's an advantage to the army. All the people from Mecca, they left out, they left to go to Badr, especially like the aristocrats. 
aristocrats of Mecca, they would have to go out in these battles. Because it's a shame in these tribes that they live on battles, right? They live on battles, and when a battle's going on, it's not, you know, the way it is today, they send out all the weak to go and fight the battles. And the aristocrats sit at home, basically. You guys know how that is, right? In those days, in order to maintain aristocrat status, you're going out for the battles, right? The aristocrats and the high nobility and so on and so forth, they're at the battles and, and, you know, and they're showing off at the battles and, and so on and so forth. It wasn't that you would have their emir or their chief or so on. Like we said, they chose the most courageous of them. So if the courageous of them decides every time there's a battle, he's going to stay home and sit in his castle and so on and whatnot, then that's not going to be the leader. It's not going to be the leader. When the people of Mecca went out, when they went out for the battle, or they, or they wanted to go out, they had a tribe that they frequently used to fight with, and that tribe was Banu Bakr. So Banu Bakr is a tribe that they frequently used to fight with, and now they were afraid if they went out from Mecca to go out for this battle, that Banu Bakr would come and attack them. So Shaytan came to them in the form of Suraqa ibn Malik. Suraqa ibn Malik was a very like aristocrat person and big chief and so on and so forth. We spoke earlier about Suraqa. Um, Shaytan came to them in that form and encouraged the people of Mecca to go out as well. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says this in the Quran. When Shaytan beautified their deeds for them. Right? So Shaytan doesn't force anybody, but Shaytan beautifies it. Where a person starts, if you've ever tried, you know, you're thinking of committing a sin or not, should I do it? And then you start to have this enlightened discussion in your mind of why the sin is good. So example, someone wants to deal with riba, right? And then they're like, oh, but if I don't do this deal, I won't get such and such a contract. And then this contract will go to the Jews or it'll go to these people. And so I have to, you know, and all this, it's beautified in your mind. That is a discussion you and Shaitan are having together, right? It's the beautification of sin. Did Shaitan force someone to take riba? No. But Shaitan would beautify it for a person. And that's like these whispers. And so Shaytan, this is what he does. And Shaytan said to them, That there's nobody that can beat you. There's nobody that can beat you. Which is the inflaming of the ego, right? Nobody can beat you. You guys, you're the man, you're the one, you're Quraysh. How dare he does this to you? Who does he think he is? Trying to cut off your caravans and so on. But now they're afraid Banu Bakr is going to attack them. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, What did we say? What was jiwar? Uh, what does jiwar mean? Who knows? Jiwar? Yes? Okay, so jiwar is protection. Can the sisters get a point for that too? Jiwar is protection. And a bag of crisps as well. <laughs> so shaitan is saying to them, He's saying that don't worry, go out for the battle, I will protect you. Like shaitan in the form of suraqa. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, When the two armies did connect, then shaitan said to them, I have nothing to do with you people. And <laughs> he said, I have nothing to do with you people. I see what you don't see. What does he see? He sees the angels descending. 
an army of angels coming to fight. He said, Inni ara ma la tarawna, inni Allah. He said, I fear Allah. And he abandoned them in the Battle of Badr and he took off. The liwa, the liwa is, um, this is something that you'll, you, actually the Al-Maghrib cup is called the liwa cup. The liwa is, you have different flags on the battlefield. You have the white flag and you have the black flag. So there's a white flag and there's a black flag. The white flag has la ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah written with black letters and you have a black flag with la ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah written in white letters. The white one is called the liwa and the black one is called araya, raya. Anybody named Raya here? Raya? No, Raya means flag. And Liwa means flag. But there's a difference between the two. If they say the Liwa was given to so-and-so, that means the leader gets the Liwa, and the smaller divisions get Raya. The Liwa is given to the leader. So they'll say like, when the Prophet ﷺ died, Abu Bakr initiated 12 or 11 Liwa, meaning he gave like 12 flags, these white flags, to 12 different people, Khalid ibn al-Walid, Akrim ibn Jah, all these people had these flags, right? And then underneath the white flag are divisions inside the army and they have a black flag with them. They have like, so this would be tribe so-and-so and tribe so-and-so and tribe so-and-so, smaller tribes underneath the bigger white flag. And then in the battle, the other army would also have a, like a flag like that, and when their flag goes down, that means they're losing. Or if the flag is backing up, that means they're retreating. Or if it's moving forward, the whole army on a plane can see whether they're winning or they're losing based on the status of the flag. And it was a great honor to be given the flag. The flag in the Battle of Badr was given to Mus'ab ibn Umair radiallahu ta'ala anhum. And to the Ansar, it was given to Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh. The Ansar... They had promised to defend the Prophet ﷺ as they would defend their wives and their children. There's a problem here in the Battle of Badr though. What's the problem? Who knows the problem? Who knows the problem? What I said was they had promised to defend the Prophet ﷺ like they would defend their families and their children. Now, but there's a problem with the Battle of Badr here. There's a problem with the Battle of Badr. Yes, sister. There you go, that's the correct answer. <laughs> Sisters, are the, is it tied now or are they up? They're one up. Okay, the answer is this. The agreement with the Prophet ﷺ was to defend in Medina. They were not in the agreement to leave Medina and defend the Prophet ﷺ. That was the problem. So it wasn't an offensive, that wasn't really the issue. The issue was their agreement is in Medina. It's not for outside of Medina. It doesn't apply. Once you leave the borders of Medina, it doesn't apply anymore. The treaty with the Prophet ﷺ. Do you understand? This is what the problem was. The Prophet ﷺ could have forced them to say, hey, defend me. They didn't agree to that. But this is what the Prophet ﷺ did. He stood up amongst the companions عنهم, and he's saying, do shura with me. And so they're agreeing... You know, Abu Bakr is saying, you know, we'll be with you, Ya Rasulullah. And Umar is saying, the Muhajireen are saying. And he's like, Ashiru Aliyah, give me, you know, some shura, what should we do? He's not telling them, if he tells them, they'll do it, but they didn't agree to it. And so the Prophet let them come to their conclusion. Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh, 
There's two quotes. One, uh, some people say, Sa'ad radiallahu anhu tariq al-tabari. There's another quote from, from another person. This is what Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh radiallahu anhu said to him. Uh, after the Prophet sallallahu kept asking, give me shura, give me shura, and muhajireen were standing up. But he's specifically awaiting the ansar for their comments. So Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh radiallahu anhu, he said, Wallahi laka annaka turiduna ya Rasulullah. Qala ajal. He said, by Allah, it seems as if you're intending us, O Messenger of Allah. And the Prophet ﷺ said, yes. And said, فَقَدْ آمَنَّا بِكَ He said, we've believed in you, وَصَدَّقْنَاكَ And we've accepted what you brought as the truth. وَشَهِدْنَا أَنَّ مَا جِئْتَ بِهِ هُوَ الْحَقِّ And we've testified that what you brought is the truth. وَعَطَيْنَاكَ عَلَى ذَلِكَ عُهُودَنَا وَمَوَاثِيقَنَا And we've given you our covenants and our promises to you on that, that you know, the truth. Said Ala Sam'i We've given our promise and our covenant to listen and obey. Fumdi, he said, so go forward. Fumdi ya Rasulullah Lima Aratta Fanahnu Ma'ak. He said, Go wherever you want, O Messenger of Allah, and we will be with you. Fawaladi Batha Bil Haq, Awasta'aratta bina hadha al Bah, Fahattahu, Lahadnahu Ma'ak, Matahalafa minna Rajanu Wahid. He said, By Allah, that if you were to go into you know, he's telling him, go in any direction. He said, if you're going into the sea, if you went into the sea, we would all go with you and not a single one of our men would stay behind. They would all follow you, O Messenger of Allah. And then he said, so he said that by Allah that tomorrow it would not please us that you would meet any enemy except that we're with you, having patience for what's going to happen in the battlefield and being truthful at that front line. And then he finished off his statement, Allah, perhaps Allah will let you see in us that which will please your eyes. And the Prophet ﷺ, when Mu'ad, uh, Sa'ad ibn Mu'ad said this, he became very happy. His face illuminated and, and he became energized by the statement of Sa'ad who noticed the Prophet didn't force them. They came to this conclusion in their choice on their own to defend the Prophet They came to this conclusion. And then the Prophet he said, Siru, he said, go forward. He said, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has promised me one of the two, Allah, that they're either going to have the caravan or they're either going to have victory over them. And he said, by Allah, I already from now see the masari' is like the corpses, like already that they've been defeated. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed to the Prophet ﷺ this. Right? In the Battle of Badr, there was a mushrik there was a mushrik that wanted to join with the Prophet ﷺ. A mushrik, someone who associated partners with Allah. Now, in Mecca, remember we mentioned there was like, you know, Abu Talib was defending the Prophet ﷺ, the poetry, and there's people there. Now, here in the Battle of Badr, though, interestingly, there's a shift. This mushrik actually wanted to join the Prophet ﷺ's army. And the Prophet ﷺ forbade him from joining the army. And he said, Irja, he said, this is in Sahih Muslim. He said, go back. He, he rejected him from joining the army. And he said, He said, I don't seek the assistance of a polytheist over a polytheist. 
right? So there's more to the issue than what we're just saying in the Meccan period. There's more to the issue after that. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this battle of Badr, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says about it in the Quran, That if you had made an appointment for this battle, like if the mushrikeen and the, and the Muslims said, you know, we'll meet you at this place at this time, then there would have been like a miscommunication and the battle wouldn't have happened. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, that it was the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that this battle would take place in the, in the, you know, in the desert, in the plains of Badr like this. Before the battle, obviously, you know, tomorrow is the battle and the Muslims are, you know, there's this nervousness, right? Before a battle, tomorrow the person might die. They might die shaheed, they might be killed in the battle and so on. And there's a lot of emotion. A person doesn't sleep during that time. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, If The companions tomorrow's they're gonna fight in the battle, and they all went like they rested peacefully. Like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the nu'as, that tiredness, even though like some of you haven't done any work other than eating lunch, you might feel tired, right? <laughs> but the companions the battle is tomorrow. And they're like dozing off. They're dozing off and it's a sign that a person is at peace. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Amanata minhu. It's like a peace and security that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brought to their hearts before the battle the next day. And again, they're heavily outnumbered and they're not prepared for the battle. It's not like they had gone and prepared and all of this thing. They're not prepared for the battle. In the verse that continues after that, During the night before the Battle of Badr, it doesn't normally rain in those days. It's desert, obviously. The rain came down that night. So you imagine tomorrow is the Battle of Badr. The companions of the alarm, they're dozing off. And, and someone mentioned earlier about the water shortage at the Battle of Badr, right? So when they arrived at Badr, when they arrived at Badr, the Prophet ﷺ set up camp. And one of the companions said, is this like a place that Allah revealed to you? Or is this just like the strategies of war? And the Prophet ﷺ said, it's just the strategies of war. And so the companion said that this is not a place to camp. And then he told the Prophet ﷺ that we should camp by the water hole. So by the water of Badr, that's like there was a well. And when the mushrikeen, when they'd come, if they didn't have water, if they tried drinking water, they'd be killed and so on and so forth. And it's interesting, subhanAllah, you'll see like the mercy of Islam. The Prophet ﷺ lands and just a normal fighter goes up to the Prophet ﷺ and asks him, you know, is this you know, a strategy of war or did Allah reveal this? Like to show you the shura, you know, they had, you know, the, the courage and they were taught by the Prophet ﷺ, they had an opinion, they would bring it to the leader. They weren't like intimidated to the point where everybody just kept quiet, right? They would go straight to the leader and tell him and give their feedback. And obviously if they gave feedback, it was like proper feedback. And the reason I'm saying proper feedback, because some people give feedback and there's no intelligence in their feedback. You know, they're just like kind of like off the top of their head, you know, what I think is this. But if someone puts improper thought into something, of course, bring it and present it. If you haven't put proper thought into it, like, think about it a little more. Jazakallah. <laughs> so, during the night, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the rain came down. And in the morning, some of the companions um, like had wet dreams. And they needed to take a bath. And they say that, this is like, a, like they'll say a latifah, 
to show you how peacefully they slept. Like they slept and they, you know, and they had wet dreams and so on. And in the morning they, they took a bath. Like what a beautiful rest that they had that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is preparing them the next day. It would be a very difficult battle that they would take place. And they're expecting that many of them will be killed shaheed the next day. Even though we know that the Muslims, very few of them were killed shaheed in the Battle of Badr. But the night before, that this is the expectation that they're going to stand their ground and defend Islam even if they're all going to die the next day. Prophet he would line up line up the companions in a battle. So when Muslims are, are praying in Salah, the Prophet actually used to go down, up and down the aisles, making sure everybody was straight. So the Salah, the way people line up in Salah is very similar to how they would line up in a battle, in a front line. You know, they're standing like shoulder to shoulder and so on. Nobody's stepping forward, nobody's stepping back. They're perfectly aligned like this. And so the Prophet before the alignment, he's giving a speech to the companions about paradise and the hereafter and so on and encouraging them. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, this is in Surah Al-Anfal, verse 65. Anfal, verse 65, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ya This verse where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, O Prophet, Ya ayyuhan Nabi, O Prophet, encourage and motivate the believers to the fighting. So the Prophet وسلم, you'll see one of the qualities of a leader is he's a motivator. He can influence and motivate people to do action. So the Prophet وسلم, is giving them a speech, encouraging them. And at the end of this speech, the Prophet وسلم, said, now get up, he said, stand up for a paradise whose expanse is the heavens and the earth. So one of the companions, radiallahu anhu, he said, Bakhin Bakh. Someone know what Bakhin Bakh means? What would you translate it as? Bakhin Bakh. Bakhin Bakh. It's not stingy. It's not stingy. That's Bakhil. Yes? Fine, fine. Or you'd say like, you're like, nice. <laughs> what would you guys say? You saw something really nice? That's smart. That's brilliant. See, you feel the power just leaving when you say that. I noticed uh, there's two audiences that any speaker would love to speak with. One of those audiences is an Egyptian audience. So if you're giving a speech in Egypt, they're like, Allah! While you're talking, they're like, you say something and they're all excited. And you guys know Abdul Basit when he reads Quran, right? Like how awesome is it to read and you have an audience that's like, or Sheikh Kish, he's like, Man al Wahid! And they're always like, Allah! This is in Jummah Khutbah, right? like a pumped up Jummah Khutbah. That's an Egyptian audience. I noticed another audience that does that, that does that, that you'd love to speak to, is an African-American audience in the U.S. Because while you're speaking, you're like, mm, yeah, amen, brother, tell <laughs> mm. Right? So they, they go with you and you, it is, excites the teacher. And then you're in London and it's like, Quiet and silent. Did they understand what I said? Yes, inshallah. <laughs> so he said to him, Bakhin Bakh, which means like it's like, like it's like saying that. So the Prophet said to him, he said, Ma hamalaka ala qawlika bakhin bakh. 
The Prophet said to him, What made you say Bakhin Bakh? Right? And the companion, عنه, he said, he said, because the Prophet was just t- speaking about Jannah, the expanse whose heavens is the, uh, a Jannah whose expanse is the heavens and the earth. And then this companion said, He said, The only thing that made me say this by Allah is my desire and hope to be of one of those people who enter Jannah. And the Prophet said to him in response, Anta min ahliha. You will be from amongst the inhabitants of paradise. So they would line up the companion, the Prophet would line up the companions, and there was a companion عنه, who, um, who was standing out from the, from the line, and the Prophet had a stick with him, and when he passed by him, he poked his companion in the stomach, and pushing him backwards, like, get back in line. This companion, radiallahu anhu, he said, you hurt me, ya Rasulullah. Isn't, this is a battle. We're about to start fighting. And, you know, you're complaining that you got poked. And so this companion, radiallahu anhu, he said, yeah, you hurt me, ya Rasulullah, and I want retaliation. And the companions, like, obviously, like I said, it's a battle. They're not going to just let somebody just retaliate against the Prophet And then the Prophet this is before the battlefield. The Prophet gave him the stick, uncovered his stomach, so that he could poke the Prophet back. And this companion, he took the stick, and he stepped forward, and he hugged the Prophet And he, he gave him that hug, and he said... He said, tonight might be my last day on earth. And right when this battle begins, I might die today. And he says, so I wish that the last thing that I felt in this life was the skin of the Prophet So this is his opportunity to do that. How much they love the Prophet The Prophet as the companions were preparing for the battle, the Prophet was in his tent and he was praying to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the Prophet sallallahu dua to Allah azza wa jal was, Allahumma, this statement, O oh Allah, should this group of Muslims be defeated today, you will no longer be worshipped. In tuhlik hadhi al-isaba falan tu'abad al abd That if this group is defeated, you'll no longer be worshipped. And that's why I said like the, the understanding before this battle is that this is the last stand. That they haven't prepared for this battle, yet they are going to defend Islam with their lives. And the Prophet ﷺ was making dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Prophet ﷺ, when he would make dua, he would raise his hands. The Prophet ﷺ would raise his hands up really high. Right? So he'd raise his hands up really high, they would say, until the whiteness of his underarms would show. So sometimes, you know, when some people making dua, they have their hands like low like this. Prophet would raise his hands and raise his hands very high. So he'd make, he's making dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As you raise your hands up, they have shawls, right? They're covering their upper body with a shawl. And the shawl is falling down off of his shoulders, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He's crying, making dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, such as this dua that we mentioned. And Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu is taking the shawl. As it's slipping off the Prophet shoulders, putting it back on his shoulders. And Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu is saying to him, Ruwaydan ya Rasulullah. He said, like, you know, at, at peace, O Messenger of Allah, inna Allah nasiruk wa munjizu wa'adak. Allah is going to grant you victory and fulfill his promise to you. 
Now, this is in the Battle of Badr. Abu Bakr is consoling the Prophet In the Hijrah, when they were in the cave, and we were talking about how many times Abu Bakr was mentioned, when they were in the cave, Abu Bakr was very fearful, and the Prophet said to him, لا تحزن إن الله معنا Don't be grieved or don't be sad, Allah is with us. Did we talk about this in Surah Al-Baqarah? Okay, so you already got this answer, right? Okay. The difference between the two. The difference between the two. In the battle of Badr versus the Hijrah. In the Hijrah, the Prophet ﷺ is consoling Abu Bakr. In the battle of Badr, Abu Bakr is consoling the Prophet ﷺ. The difference between the two is this. In the Hijrah, the Prophet ﷺ had prepared for it. And in the battle of Badr, the Muslims weren't prepared. The Prophet ﷺ knows that when someone comes unprepared, cause and effect, they will lose cause and effect. We said that earlier about how Muslims, they're always like, where's the effect? Where's the effect? And there's no cause brought to get that effect. So Muslims are always looking for a miracle. And we realize and we understand in Islam that these miracles, they don't just come down. The Muslims have to do effort. And so if you know, something happens, because we didn't put the effort into it. And so once the cause happens, once you put in the causes, possibly the effect won't happen. That's why you put in all the cause and then you make du'a to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you place your trust in Allah, and then possibly the effect will happen. But the cause always has, has to be there. In the battle of Badr, the cause wasn't there. And so the Prophet is making du'a to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and Allah supported the army with an army of angels in the battle of Badr. Okay, in the beginning of the battle, to show you like the courage of these battles, that at the beginning of the battle, you'd have the leader of one army go out and fight the leader of the other army one-to-one combat. One of them's gonna die. Like how amazing would that be? Instead of two countries going to war, just their leaders fought. Just them, (laughs) nobody else. Just let them fight, whoever loses, you know, that's it. And interestingly, as I said, that the, the Arabs, they would only choose the most courageous. Imagine if they chose a leader and he went out for these battles and someone killed him. Okay, good riddance. He got killed. They don't care. They only have the most courageous people leading their armies and so on. So three of the, the mushrikeen, they came out and three of the Ansar came out. So from the mushriks, they were saying, we have nothing to do with you. We want our brothers, our cousin from the muhajireen. So the three people were, um, the three from the mushrikeen were Utbah, Ibn Rabi'ah, second one, and, and he was fighting Hamza radiallahu anhu, the uncle of the Prophet Second one was Al-Walid Ibn Utbah, and he was fighting Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu, the cousin of the Prophet and Shayba Ibn Rabi'ah was fighting Ubaidah Ibn Al-Harith radiallahu anhu. And so you'll see Al-Walid Ibn Utbah in the battle of Badr, that is Khalid ibn al-Walid's father. That's Khalid ibn al-Walid's father. And Abu Jahl is also in this army. They started the battle. Hamza radiallahu anhu killed Utbah. Ali radiallahu anhu killed al-Walid. And Shayba greatly injured Ubaidah. And Ubaidah also injured uh, Shayba. So it was kind of like a draw between the two. Abdurrahman ibn Awf radiallahu anhu in, in the battle, he was saying, I said this earlier, that when they get older in age, they actually become stronger, they become more you know, disciplined. And I, and I was saying last weekend about how you know, they're in their 40s, 50s, and these are the people that carried the message. Abdurrahman ibn Awf radiallahu anhu had, in this battle, he had one of the, the Ansars, there was two boys, they're both named Mu'adh, 
They're both named Mu'adh, and they were very young. And he was saying to himself, I wish I had some older people on my side. Because they're like, they're too young, and you know, during the battle, he needs people defending him and so on. So one of the, the young Ansaris, he said to Abdurrahman, uh, he said, you know, uncle, he's like, yes. He's like, can you um, tell me who Abu Jahl is? He's like, why would you like to know? He said, because I heard he used to harm the Prophet And today he gets, he's coming. And he said, so I would like to be the person who kills him today. He's like, okay. I'll let you know when I see him. <laughs> it was just like, and he was whispering to him because this, this companion wanted the honor of killing Abu Jahl. It's like an honor to kill the enemy of Allah. And then the other one on his other side is saying, Uncle, he says, yes. He said, can you tell me who Abu Jahl is? And he said, why would you like to know? He said, because I heard that he used to hurt the Prophet وسلم, in Mecca. He said, I would like to be the one who kills him today. So now you see these two companions, عنهم, they have high standards. They're not just going into the battlefield, oh Allah, please don't let me get hurt, don't let my finger get cut or something like that. That's not their goal. Their goal is out of all the people in the battle, who can they get the most reward for taking out? And so when these two boys asked this to Abdurrahman ibn Auf, he became very excited to have them by his side. Like now he felt like kind of like, okay, if these are, this is the kind of standards that they have, then you know, I don't mind that you know, they're younger and so on. Then when the battle started, Abu Jahl is in the army and, and then he says to him, see that person who's like, you know, studded with all that armor and everybody's around them and it's the most intense part of the battle. It's the most intense. He's like, you see that area? And they said, yes. He said, that guy in the middle that everybody's defending, the whole army's defending, that's Abu Jahl. The most defended person. He said, as soon as he said this, both of them took off like arrows from a bow. They charged Abu Jahl. They went into the heat of the most intense part of the battle and they killed Abu Jahl. In fact, they both came back and they were killed shaheed from their injuries and so on. But they came back to the Prophet ﷺ both saying that they had killed Abu Jahl and the Prophet ﷺ took their swords and looking at their swords and how much and, and, um, and he concluded that one of them had killed Abu Jahl and not, you know, the other one had not had like a full injury. You know what I'm saying? And uh, parts of their limbs are cut off in that attack and so on, but they were still, they killed Abu Jahl. The Prophet وسلم, as he's making du'a to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed, revealed in the Qur'an that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would give them assistance bi alfim min al-mala'ikati munzirin, that with 1,000 angels coming down. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the angels had never before taken part in a battle. And they never took part in a battle after the Battle of Badr as well. The only battle that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent them down to fight and participate in was in the Battle of Badr. The battle of Badr. In Surah Muhammad, in Surah Muhammad, it mentions about the angels and the angels coming down and fighting alongside the companions radiallahu ta'ala anhum. In an authentic hadith, they said that we knew who the angels killed and whom we killed with our swords. Because when they killed someone with a sword, when you kill with a sword, it has like a type of mark. But they'd say when the angels would strike the mushrikeen, it would have a burn with it. Kind of like a lightsaber or something like that. It would have a burn with it and they would know that this person was killed by one of the angels. 
and they would say that in the battle, they would hear the, you know, they would hear sounds of the angels saying like, go Hayzum and, and so on. These are like the angels in the battle of Badr fighting alongside the Muslims. The battle of Badr, actually, it didn't take many hours. The battle of Badr was over, you're talking about in a few hours, something like three hours or so on. And the mushrikeen, they abandoned, they retreated, and many of them were captured and so on. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed in the Qur'an, The multitudes will be defeated and they will return their backs, turn their backs and flee. This was revealed, this verse was revealed in Mecca. That the gathering, the multitudes will be defeated and they'll turn their backs and run away. Umar radiallahu anhu asked the Prophet sallallahu about this verse and you know, there, there wasn't an answer to it, but when in the Battle of Badr, when he saw the people, you know, this, this, the multitudes of the mushrikeen coming to fight them, and they were defeated, and they turned their backs and fled, Umar radiallahu anhu knew that it was talking about the mushrikeen, and it was in the Battle of Badr. Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu said, On that day, a Muslim was chasing a disbeliever, and he heard over him the swashing of a whip and the voice of the rider saying, Go ahead, Hayzum. He glanced at the polytheist who had now fallen down on his back. The Ansari came to the Messenger of Allah and related what had happened. The Prophet replied, You have told the truth. That was the assistance from the third heaven. And this is in Sahih Muslim. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says about the Battle of Badr, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Wadkuru. And we took this in the Surah Al-Baqarah class where when it says, Wadkuru, when it said, remember, that means remember and be thankful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for this blessing. And this blessing of the victory of Mecca is a blessing that we all share in. The fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala granted victory to our messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. وَذْكُرُوا And remember, إِذْ أَنْتُمْ قَلِيلٌ مُسْتَضَعْفُونَ When you were few in number, مُسْتَضَعْفُونَ And you reckoned that you were weak in the land. So the Muslims, they were like from, they had gone to Medina and Medina was like a small town and so on. And everybody was saying, oh, these Muslims are like nothing. That you are afraid that the people would just come and like snatch you away, that they would like just take you away. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala provided a safe place for you. And strengthen you with his help. And he gave you and provided for you from your, the tayyibat, the good lawful things, so that perhaps you would be grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When it came to the prisoners of war, and it came to the prisoners of war. So now, in this battle, Abu Jahl had been killed, and Utbah, and Al-Walid, and Rabi'ah, all of these key chiefs of the mushrikeen had been killed. So you imagine the news, the huge news, all their leaders, boom, 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 one after the other, they had all been killed. So the messenger's coming back to Mecca, and he's saying, Al-Walid is dead, Utbah is dead, Rabi'ah is dead, and Abu Jahl is, he's going through the whole list and it's like they can't believe that the Muslims, not only did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant victory to them, but they took out like all their chiefs. 
in one battle like this, even though they had gone out into a thousand and so on. Now they had prisoners of war. What to do with the prisoners of war? The Prophet ﷺ took shura from people. Abu Bakr ﷺ said, ransom them. Umar ﷺ said, kill them. And Umar ﷺ is not saying kill, he's saying not only kill them, but like each person from like the muhajireen are going to kill like their own. And the Prophet ﷺ, like it's a very intense opinion, right? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, it's in Surah Al-Fal, مَا كَانَ لِنَبِيٍ أَن يَكُونَ لَهُ أَسْرَى حَتَّى يُثْخِنَ فِي الْأَرْضِ That it's not for the Prophet ﷺ to have like prisoners and hold prisoners until he makes like, يُثْخِنَ is like, and it's like establishes, like they know who the Prophet ﷺ is. But the Prophet ﷺ before that had chosen the opinion of Abu Bakr and they ransomed them. They ransomed the prisoners of war. And that was when the Prophet's daughter, Zainab, she ransomed her husband with the jewelry of Khadija that she had been given on her night of marriage. And so that's when the Prophet, all these years, the Khadija, when he saw the jewelry and he started crying, remembering Khadija, all these years that he'd been without her. It's been about seven years that he was, um, then she passed away. And the Prophet ﷺ said to the companions that if you wish to free her prisoner and give her back her jewelry, then do so. And the companions, they did that. And the Prophet ﷺ said to Zainab's husband, he made a deal with him that he would send Zainab back, like that she wouldn't be with him. He wasn't Muslim and that he would send her. And that's what he did when he went back to Mecca, fulfilled his promise to the Prophet ﷺ, and he sent back Zainab anha. And that's why we said the, those people who came, they tried stopping her, the daughter of the Prophet ﷺ, they wouldn't let her do hijrah, they attacked her with spears, she fell off, and she had a miscarriage, and the Prophet ﷺ sent the companions to go and kill those people who tried stopping his daughter. Some of the nice things that you see in the, um, the prisoners of war, those who didn't have money to ransom, Prophet ﷺ allowed them to be ransomed if they knew how to read and write and they could teach it to the Ansari children. Right? So these are prisoners of war who just fought with the Muslims, but they know how to read and write. Muslims are saying to them, you can go so long as we bring like 10 of our children, they'll sit with you and you become their teacher. You teach them how to read, you teach them how to write. After 10 of them know how to read and write, you can go. So education, very interesting. I hope inshallah ta'ala as you're doing your speeches, you'll pick up on points like that, like their education and so on. And then in these battles, you also had poets, poets who were defending the Prophet ﷺ with their poetry. So of these poets, one of the best poets was Hassan ibn Thabit And he was known as Ashadduhum. The toughest amongst the mushrikeen in his poetry was Hassan ibn Thabit his brother Zayd ibn Thabit, if you ever heard of a companion, was told to learn multiple languages. Zayd ibn Thabit was the one who compiled the Qur'an. He was in charge of the compilation of the Qur'an into book form, and that was the brother of Hassan ibn Thabit. Hassan ibn Thabit obviously was one of the best of the companions in poetry and in defense of the Prophet Other companions who were known for their poetry, Abdullah ibn Rawaha Abdullah ibn Rawaha and another companion by the name of Ka'b ibn Malik. And that was the Battle of Badr. One year after that came the Battle of Uhud.